Sunstrom Recruitment are the leaders in health and safety recruitment. If you're considering a career change or need to discuss your organisation's hiring, reach out to the team today. We were awarded Recruitment Agency of the Year in Health and Safety in 2023 and are a proud sponsor of Health and Safety Conversations. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. Here's your host... Tom Bourne. Hi, and welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. I'm your host, Tom Bourne, and with me today is the absolute amazing, the legendary Rosa Antonio Carrillo. Rosa, how are you? Oh, great. Yes, I'm very happy to be here. Finally getting to meet you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's been it's been a it's been a bit of a t- progress or time for me to actually I don't know, organize a time where I'm available and then not have challenges come up. And yeah, so apologies, but I'm really glad you're here now. So Rosa, you've done a lot in your life. You're author, consultant, public speaker, coach, team leader, adjunct, adjunct, I'll try and say that correctly, adjunct faculty member. Where did you begin professionally though? My professional life began as a teacher in California. I'm a credentialed elementary school teacher, and I taught grades kindergarten through six. Did that for five years and decided that I was not going to be able to make the kinds of social changes I wanted to make within that system because it was, well, it's very bureaucratic and there's a lot of resistance. Although I have to say, at least we got bilingual education started there and and it ran about 10 years before it got debunked and thrown out again. But that was my first career and I learned everything I needed to learn in kindergarten. Remember that book? No, 
Yeah. That was the book. That's a very famous book. And it's true because if you, I went into organizational development, which is working in organizations to help people um, communicate, collaborate, uh, build effective teams. And so it's really just a continuation of what you learn in kindergarten of don't fight, don't buy, share. I got to say, I have a lot of respect for teachers, I, teachers, particularly with younger children, because I just seriously, I don't have the patience for it. My, my, my profession is basically teaching adult learners, ones that know the social norms at this stage. Well, at least hopefully like, you know, turning up with shoes on, you know, they might actually have to socially interact and do some work. You must be working with older students because... <laughs> I have a, a friend who uh, retired and said he just couldn't take the fact that they were always on their phone, you know, the electronic uh, problem that you have when you're trying to teach and everybody's texting. But so everything has its challenges. The uh, field that we're in with safety has its challenges um, of trying to figure out the age old question, why do people move their put their hands into moving machinery. I even had a client that one of their employees stuck their head into a piece of equipment. Yep. If it hadn't been for the hard hat, he would have been killed. So it's working with psychology, you know, how people think, how people react. It's very challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking about putting hands in machinery, it's an interesting thing. I, I was speaking to a, a gentleman up on site yesterday and he said to me, who would you fire first? The person who did a pre-start checklist, which identified putting their hand in a piece of machinery was a hazard and then still did it. Or the person who didn't do it and stuck their hand in the piece of machinery. I was like, why are we talking straight away about firing people? I don't understand this. People make mistakes sometimes. Yes, I I totally agree with you because on the one hand it's very it, it, it's very puzzling why would people take a risk like that? I mean, you know the machinery's moving and you know that it could happen but you do it anyway. And for many years we we just didn't want to look at the the social pressures and that people are under in the workplace that would actually drive them to take a risk in yeah. that way. And instead we wanted to blame the workers and fire them. Yeah. My, error. My, my point to the gentleman was, was how was he able to get his hand into the moving machinery? Shouldn't we have had a, an effective guarding system perhaps up instead of this situation actually occurring? But yeah, it's it's an interesting piece of culture that seems to go around in workplaces. We seem to take three steps forward and then four steps back. It's one of those constant battles. I feel like we change leaders, we change role models, and all of a sudden we're back to you know ground zero. It's quite disappointing. Have you always had an interest in culture and particularly workplace culture? Well, I think so, but I didn't know it was culture. I remember my first introduction, I, I Edgar Schein, who wrote Organizational Leadership and Culture, 
came in. He was one of my teachers. And I was blown away because I had never heard of the concept of assumptions and beliefs. I knew about norms because of behaviorism, you know, that peer group pressure concept. But the but beliefs and assumptions was so much deeper because why do, I mean, I myself had done some things I couldn't explain to myself. Why the heck did, would I do something like that? It's, it's even against my values. I don't even know why, why I would do that. In that, at that moment, it was that I had, I joined an organization that I didn't realize it had a cult leader. And for a long time, I was drawn in to following things, even to the point where it wasn't really in part of my value system, but it was very difficult to get out of that situation because I had a lot of friends, uh, close alliances, people that I cared about. Uh, and what it what culture when I when when uh, Ed first wrote about brainwashing in Korea, that's where he got his start. Mm-hmm. You know how how do you brainwash people, and then so why do people do things that are that would that ordinarily wouldn't do if they were in in a centered right mind? So yeah, the assumptions and beliefs really explained to me what had happened to me why that that uh, it wasn't like i was a bad person it's that i was an unaware person and i didn't know that these forces were were causing me to think in a certain way and to do things in a certain way Um, that is of course then after i started learning about culture i was uh i had been doing some work in safety before that, but it had to do with incentive programs, which were very popular in the 80s and early 90s. You know, let's, uh, and we were giving, at Exxon, we were giving away pickup trucks, you know. (laughs) If you had an accident-free year, your name went into a drawing for a free truck. And uh, then the one one year, the guy that won it, uh, one of the employees came up to me and said, well, you realize that he's one of the biggest rule breakers, right? <laughs> I said, oh, when when I went to graduate school in organizational development and I learned about the systems and reward systems, oh, I was rewarding them for hiding injuries. Live and learn. Those things, we talk about those things all the time now, but we didn't talk about them in the 80s and 90s. All we talked about was human error. 99.9% of accidents are due to human error. So if you can figure out a way to eliminate people, that's the way to improve your safety record. Yeah, Yeah. fantastic. Except, of course, the people are the ones who actually innovate and control and help us actually achieve things. But it's interesting, incentive schemes, I I honestly believe every incentive scheme started with the best intentions, the absolute best intentions, but we've never looked at what the resulting outcome is actually going to be in reality. So I, I, I hate them, but I understand why they were brought in originally, but it's interesting you've brought up some interesting concepts for me. I, the brainwashing bit. I just, I just wonder sometimes 
if we've had something like 30 or 40 years of workplace brainwashing about, you know, all accidents are preventable, you know, the zero thing. And so that's why people take these, let's be honest, nonsensical ideas and and espouse them or repeat them mindlessly. I, I, I've never thought of that, but it, if you've been drip-fed something over a whole generation, you probably are going to fundamentally believe it. Yeah, it takes really something extraordinary to make you doubt it. I mean, it has to be, wow, you know, that that's really bad what happened. Now I have, you know, and you start reevaluating what what you've been doing. How could you have gone along with it up to this point? You know, and that's what happens when there's a really serious accident. People stop and suddenly realize that I guess we we get on what do they call that you you just get on a, an automatic system and you're not even thinking anymore you're just doing things because that's the way you've always done them and you don't stop to think on the treadmill of life there you go <laughs> the treadmill is moving fast <laughs> I was going to ask you what's Rose's definition of workplace culture well. Okay. It's transformed quite a bit over the years when, from the time I first met Ed, and I was fortunate enough to have a lot of conversations with him afterwards. And we came to an agreement that the relationships in the organization reflect the culture. Mm. So if that is true, then Culture is shaped by the way we interact, the way we talk to each other, and what we the way we treat each other, basically. That's from just an everyday perspective of you and me right now. You know, we're we're relating to each other within a cultural norm. Yep. Doing this podcast, okay? But there's also another um level of culture, which is the leadership with power, the whole concept of power. Uh, and I know we call all the managers leaders, all the organizations I go into, you know, oh, are leaders, but no, a leader, a manager, it's not to say being a manager is bad. We need managers. We need people who are going to be out there, you know, looking at the process, how things are being managed. But a leader is very specifically someone who makes the choice to courageously influence people's behavior. It takes a lot of courage uh, for a conscious person to go out there and and try and change people's mind about things, try and get them to think differently about something, to do things differently. And so culture is a combination of these leaders who are setting expectations, role modeling. They have charisma, they have influence, they have power. And then how the way it gets, it becomes a culture is because we accept certain aspects of it and we begin to treat each other in that way. I'll give you a very concrete example. When I was um, in Australia, I, I was working with Rio Tinto and they they were having a safety culture conference for all of their um, 
profession, safety professionals from that area. And they were, uh, they had awarded one of the general managers uh, the uh, top performance award because uh, they had top quality, top, um, they had met uh, the productivity. And, mo and most importantly, they had an amazing safety culture. I mean, they had just almost completely uh, eradicated uh, accidents and they had, had not had any fatalities, even though in previous years there had been some. So I had the, I, I was really happy I got to interview him and I said, well, what is it that you did? That what did, why do you think the culture flipped? He said, well, when I got here, everybody was very demoralized because of the numbers and they had to downsize a lot of employees. And so everybody was just kind of waiting for the next round of mm. downsizing. So he said, I had to, I, I realized that what we had to do, the first thing we had to do is raise morale. And he asked his direct reports to look each employee in the eye, learn their names and say good morning or hello. I said, and that was it? He said, yeah, that was it. <laughs> yep. That was it. Because from, from that sprung, the whole willingness to trust, the willingness to listen, it, it's, you don't need a big, expensive, you know, million dollar safety program. You need to change the way people see each other, recognize each other, treat each other like human beings. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've seen some genuine attempts which have worked and I've seen some ticking boxes exercises which have not worked i, I remember i don't know uh, early to mid 1990s i was with this fairly large organization in australia and the manager on site must have heard something about you know building personal relationships his idea was he would walk through the building come down from the management upper level walk through the building once a week in a set pattern, say, hi, how are you going? And walk off before anyone could actually say anything <laughs> and just keep going with the same phrase to every single person. Not surprisingly, didn't really didn't work. work. <laughs> yeah, he didn't read the whole program. <laughs> <laughs> Something about genuine interaction or, I don't know, caring about your people being open and transparent might be I don't know, more what the, the people would have expected. Okay, I read your book, your previous book, Relationship Factor and Safety Leadership. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It reinforced a lot of my own beliefs about safety doesn't have to be hard. It's a relationship type activity or relationship industry. It's that, a relational, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, for someone like me who's a dead set introvert, you actually have to do the hard work because you actually have to want to talk to people and more importantly, listen to what they say. So, but no, it's actually really good. I, I just, yeah. Clive Lloyd, I read his book actually before I read your book. 
And I went, oh, these books are very much the same. They're, they're speaking with the same voice. And I was just, yeah. For yes, people. Clive said to me, I was almost not going to publish my book after I read yours. But of course, he had to. I mean, he's got uh, such a wonderful voice and uh, he's, he's done some really good work. Yeah, but groundbreaking because you actually ran through instead of just pushing it back on workers and that and to actually say let's build a relationship with the people so they trust us so they feel like they can come forward and tell us the things which are stopping them succeeding not just in safety but also in production and and, and everything it's it's not a it's not a rocket science type notion that we're all in it together we're all on part of the same team is it but I, it must be because so few people get it. <laughs> I've always said that myself. It's not rocket science. You know, treat somebody humanely. Treat them with respect. You know, it, say thank you now and then. Uh, yeah. People don't even say thank you. It's so basic. I, I've, I've racked my brain trying to figure out. I know in the U.S., we're we're much more individualistic than you are because you you didn't have a revolution against England, so <laughs> you hate some of the socialist aspects in your culture. In the U.S., they just proceeded to um, go with individualism, and so here everybody's on their own. They're responsible for themselves. Pull yourself by the bootstraps, and if you didn't make it well, you know, there must be something wrong with you. So I attribute a lot of the of that in the US to the culture that everybody is to make it on their own. And if you're having any problems, it's your fault. Then when you go to more of a culture, socialist culture, Canada, UK, um, Australia, New Zealand, um, much more socially conscious and and much more open to the relationship-based approach to safety. Don't you find there that that people are more open to the relationship approach to safety? Somewhat, somewhat. I look. There are some people I find that once they become supervisors, managers, and higher up, they suddenly get this assumption that they're I don't know they're better than anyone else who's below them, that they have some magical quality that makes them, I don't know, somewhat superior. And so that they don't have to listen to the voices of of the little people, or the small people. I, I've, When I became a supervisor myself or a frontline manager, the basic thing I always went with, number one, just treat people like you want to be treated yourself. And we're all the same. We all bleed the same. We all put our pants on one leg at a time. And just because we've got different backgrounds, educational achievements or not, or challenges, or skills and knowledge, we're still all the same. We all have our strengths and weaknesses, and that's what makes us such a strong team. But I know there's a lot of resistances there's teams within teams, and then sometimes the leadership team becomes a separate team in themselves because they mm-hmm. feel like they're under pressure from the workers, and it's, it's just ridiculous. I mean, 
anyone. Well, are... yeah, I'm sorry, didn't interrupt no. you. Go on. Complete your thought. I was going to say that everybody's under a lot of pressure. Uh, so, especially now, let's take, for example, the whole conversation around inclusion and diversity, which is really focused. It focused on people of color. Uh, and here in the U.S., there was a whole Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. But it's not just about Black people. It's about all people who are have felt that oppressed over the years or not had, they have not felt they've had the same opportunity. And so I was in a session recently where I had some small group discussions on the topic and there were white middle-aged men. I, I, they were practically on the verge of tears because they no longer knew how to communicate or behave in this new dynamic. I never know, you know, how to express myself or to disagree or to. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You know, how should I be saying what I really think? Is it, am I doing something wrong? I thought, you know, that that was not the intention and the purpose mm. of inclusion and diversity. The, uh, the intention was to give everyone a voice and to make some people who work from that power position, uh, like you were mentioning, you know, I'm I'm better than this person now because I'm up a notch in a supervisory position, to maybe rethink that they need to act in different ways in order for people to feel safe speaking up about safety. But it was never the intention to put the shoe on the other foot mm. and generate another group of people who now feel lack of psychological safety. I think we, I don't know. So, you know, we try things and then we end up, like you said, a step back. You're trying to take two steps forward and you end up a step back. Yeah. Difficult. Oh, yeah. All right, Rosa, you've put out a new book, which I mm -hmm. got and I read, OHS Voices from the Resistance. What a book. What a book. <laughs> so honest and truthful, but it's not the conversations usually safety professionals say aloud. And it, 
I really hope safety professionals read this book. I really do because I may have said to someone, it's 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 the book we didn't know we needed to have. But there are so many safety professionals who struggle with what is their role, what is their purpose, the challenges of actually doing the role, the burnout, the frustrations, the, I don't know, the the tensions of not feeling like they're achieving anything. The book covers it all. What was the what was the point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of what made you think this is the book? Because it's a great book, but it's also a very brave book too. I, I'm interested in why you think it's brave. Because no one else has actually put in writing these sentiments. Some people, if you get them alone, some safety professionals, you get them alone, they'll quietly tell you, "Oh, I'm, I'm ready to walk away from the industry because of X, Y, Z. I'm so frustrated with it." But it's not something that's usually discussed out in public. It's not something that's usually discussed on an industry-based forum. And you've done that. You've put it out there and you said, this is what people are thinking. This is the reality. So, yeah, congratulations. Well, thank you. I, I have picked up on that. I mean, for me, I didn't feel brave writing it because I, I was listening to people and it fits within my my sense of purpose when I hear that people are suffering to help them voice what's going on and then to engage the larger a larger society that might be able to make life better the the original um, reason I wrote was because during covid I I heard that a lot of people were burned out. They were stressed. Then I began to hear, I, I feel I, I feel that no one's listening. All they do is give me more to do, and but I don't feel any kind of um, inclusion or recognition. I'm not in, they go into meetings to decide things for me to do when shouldn't I be in that meeting? Uh, and I'm going, yeah, yeah, you should be in that meeting. Then, then there's the women who, in addition to the uh, things they go through in the professional dynamic, they also suffer from gender discrimination because they work in all male environments. And the men, they just um, don't respect the women. Uh, and and I understand that in construction and heavily male environments, uh, maybe women are even seen as you know, weak partners that they're not really meant to be there. So all of these things and things, I mean, there's stories in there that that will break your heart of the types of things that safety professionals have endured uh, and, and the women, you know, sexually just and and emotionally turmoil, emotional turmoil that people have been through. So as I began to gather the 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 interviews, I asked my friend Drew Drew Ray, who works at the university with Decker. Mm-hmm. And I I think it's Griffith University, if yep. I'm not wrong. Uh, he's, uh, and I said, uh, look, I've, I've done all these interviews and I want to, I did a little survey. It, it was a very small survey, but the survey said that they were thinking of quitting their job. 
And they were also saying that they identify with being a helping profession, which is very different from what the profession is usually considered, which is mostly risk management. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, uh, you know, it's not a very substantial survey, so you're going to get questioned on that. Why don't you focus on the interviews? Because those are very compelling stories. He, he was the first one that clued me into the significance of what that what these people were saying was very significant. So see, I didn't even recognize it myself. I, I was just listening and gathering the data. Um, so I started to do that. And then Drew ran out of time. He said he couldn't be involved anymore. Uh, and I met another gentleman named Rob Long. A lot of people know him because in Australia. And he he's just, it turns out that he gets letters almost every day that say the same thing that I was getting in the interviews. And he started to support me, uh, uh, like almost like I was writing a thesis, right? He became my thesis advisor helped me uh, and just kept pushing me and pushing me. And the more he pushed me, the deeper I went. He, I, I credit him with finding my voice. Mm. I have never been able to really do that because I am a woman of color. Uh, and you just don't do things like that. <laughs> You, yeah. I, I've always held back. I've always held back. And, and this time I said, I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to say it the way it is. So thank you. If you ever listen to this, Rob, thank you. It's, it was a work. So in a way it was, a, it's a work of, of a community because it took, I was gathering information, but it took a group of supporters around me to be able to bring it to, to publish it. Yeah. Because one person, I, I was not enough. I, I was not confident enough. I was not strong enough uh, to uh, recognize that this 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 is an injustice, what's mm -hmm. going on. And it's not only about safety professionals. Uh, nurses mm -hmm. suffer a lot because they're not listened to and they're devalued. Teachers, mm -hmm another group and it seems to fall on the helping professions this dynamic seems to fall on the helping professions so i began to think wow are 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 these safety advisors people working in safety are they being trivialized not listened to because they are helpers because they are caring People in our society, our culture, mm. does not value people like that. We value aggressive, decisive people who will come in and eliminate half of the employees if that's what's <laughs> needed. Yeah, that's who get become CEO. That's true. That's true. I, I I often think the safety profession struggles with its own identity because they get told. Some people, they go, well, a lot of people go into it because they care about people. But once they're there, they get told they're risk management professionals or more importantly, they, they get shunted into compliance officer roles, mm -hmm. basically just making sure people comply with this and we tick the boxes here so that everything looks good, at least on paper in case we get audited somewhere down the track. It is one of those 
dreadful things that I think we take the profession in which we a lot of businesses don't understand its role, that they are there to provide advice. They are there to provide help. They're not there basically just to ensure boxes are ticked. And, and, and they're certainly not just about risk management. Okay. Well, may I correct that? You just said they're not about risk management because I, I don't know if I emphasized it in OHS Voices, but I emphasized it in the global, in the leadership, health and safety profession as a leadership strategy, that the biggest risk we take every day is talking to someone, Mm. social interaction. We're not conscious of it, but every time you bring up an idea or you address someone, you run the risk of being ignored or finding out that you've said the wrong thing. You could be discredited. You could lose credibility. It is a huge risk to talk to people. So the the biggest risk we manage in safety is psychological safety. Mm-hmm. Are we creating the environment where people can bring forth the hazards that they're facing and the ideas for making for making the workplace safer. And a lot of it has to do with with getting their feelings hurt. Yeah. Which we're not allowed to talk about. No. But if you hurt my feelings, I'm not gonna share my ideas with you. Or if you devalue my thoughts or my background or my beliefs. Yeah. All right. You included towards the end of the book some recommendations. Briefly, for those who haven't read the book, what what were some of those recommendations? Redo the curriculum. I mean, we have to we have to start from the beginning with our young people that are interested. In, and some people talked about why they were interested. Uh, I mean, their their parents have been firefighters or uh, you know EMTs, and so they have all of these visions of going into the workplace to actually help people. But the curriculum is not about that. The curriculum is, again, about how to log the injuries correctly so that when the regulators come in and, again, to keep uh, us in compliance and keep managers out of jail and and hopefully keep even safety professionals out of jail. So litigation is the is the main thing and then you look at engineering aspects and and learning about all the different hazards and you know how you can mitigate that but not one word about the social aspects when you go into the workplace here you are all bright new shiny with you know all the laws and all the rules but nobody wants to hear them <laughs> have you heard that from the young people oh like, yeah what? listen to me I I know (laughs) what they're supposed to be doing they won't listen well guess what (laughs) you weren't taught how to introduce yourself you know you're a young person you're talking to people older than you that have a lot more experience than you maybe you don't have the right answer maybe you have to approach it a different way asking questions yeah so that's one, the curriculum, 
the big one. And the other one is the, well, the regulators. I don't know if we can do anything about them, the regulators. <laughs> so I don't even want to go there. I'm more hopeful about the institutions and associations that guide the profession, uh, like the safety, you know, the Safety Institute, the Association of Safety Professionals, National Safety Council, all of these large, large organizations with 30,000 plus members that have the ability to communicate and put out ideas for the direction of the profession. And, but they seem to prefer to stick to the regulator compliance requirements. Mm -hmm. You know, we had a whole discussion the other day about, okay, we have, here we have OSHA, um, and that's the regulation, the government reg, uh, regulation regulator for the U.S. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have to come to every conference. Like if you're going to have a safety conference, then OSHA has to have a little time to talk to you. And they were saying, yeah, but, you know, they always get such low ratings. Well, yeah, they do. They're boring. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're going to fix that. Just have them do their thing and say thank you. But yeah, no, I think the associations that have a lot, I, I hope they read my book. I I wish that my book could change some thinking or at least raise some questions. It, it's not a done deal. Yep. Uh, there's people that I talk to that are not moved at all by what I have to say. Mm-hmm. They're not. Yeah. Just on that gut feeling, what's, is it a positive future for the safety industry? Yes. Uh, I don't, uh, I think it's going to split off. Uh, I see a really marked difference between the risk management group that attracts people who quite frankly, are not socially oriented, you know, Mm -hmm. because if you're going to teach, it's because you like children. Mm. If you're going to uh, be a therapist, it's because, you know, you want to help people. So if your primary interest is in managing risk, you, you have a different personality, a different inclination than someone who says, I really care about people and I want to help them you know, not get hurt. I want to help them. I I care about the fact that they have problems at home that they bring to the workplace and I might be able to help them at least, you know, deal with them in a way so that they're, they're not undermining their awareness during the day. That's a different, that's a different person altogether. So I think we're going to split off, which we should, because if you look at the safety handbook, I, I don't know how many thousands of topics there are in yeah. the safety handbook. Who can possibly master that? No, no one. I had an interesting chat to a, a gentleman earlier this year, and his job was, he's, he's actually called a safety coach. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, oh, what's, what's his safety coach do? And he said, I go around and just talk to people and say, how's your day? What's going on? You know, have you, is there anything, you know, that you can suggest that would make this safer? Is there anything we can do to make you more comfortable doing your job? And I went, oh, it's a much 
different role than being compliance or risk orientated. It's a it's a people role. And I can see when you're talking about the split off there, that that's possibly a, a very good pathway. That you have people that I don't know are there just for the people. That'd be nice. Well, it's an important piece of the pie. And one of these days, it's really important for the business. And that's why I, I tried to emphasize that these people-oriented safety practitioners are providing a great service for their organizations because they're providing the care factor. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. All right. Just one last question before you go, just because you sparked my interest when you said cult earlier. One of the things that I get concerned about is we seem to have these sort of divisions within the safety community. You're either safety this or safety that, or you, you know, yeah, behaviorism, you're hop, you're this. And each individual grouping, to me, almost starts to look like a cult itself, where the the people at the top, are, you know, almost worshipped by their their devotees. And I think we have to move past that. I think we just have to. Do you see those things and just shake your head sometimes? Well, I used to be part of that when when I was new in safety because I was you know I was into the culture way back when. I mean, I wrote my thesis in 1993 on safety culture, uh, and we were like at the at the top. What did they say that with the envelope at the at the front of the envelope or whatever? There's an expression about the envelope. Anyway, we were yep. at the tip, right? Yep. <laughs> and oh boy, did we make fun of the behaviorists! I mean, it was it was fun. It was fun to make fun of them. I mean, we we. We disagreed so heavily with safety observations and the idea that emotions, you have to just disregard emotions because you can't measure them, you can't see them. And I mean, it just seems so silly. So looking, I mean, so, you know, different groups have different insights. Of course, now the behaviorists have, you know, they, they've, They've developed and they've grown. Some of them, not everybody, because I <laughs> I still hear people talking about how we we have to measure behaviors because we we can't see emotions or <laughs> feelings. I said, well, you can one if they hit you. You know, somebody mad hits you. So <laughs> sticks and stones will break your bones, and words can hurt you. So we're we're in a different era. But it's going to take a while for for all of that to come through. As far as cults, well, one of the characteristics of a cult is a leader that does not allow dissent, you know, and so and everybody that's there, that's part of the group, has to be 100% in compliance with, with that perspective. And so I, I wouldn't call, I wouldn't go so far as to call them cults, but they are very divisive. And the thing I don't like is when they they start calling people names or, you know, that they're some kind of they're less intelligent beings or <laughs> they believe in zero. And it's like, 
Well, you know, it, there there are diff. I don't think we're going to get anywhere by calling people names. No, no. Means you've lost the argument. You've got to revert to the personal attacks. Yeah, personal attack. It's like, well, you know, it maybe it's probably very detrimental. It is very detrimental to. I personally don't believe in zero goals. No, I think they're very hurtful and but on the other hand i will listen to someone who is passionate so passionate about not wanting to see anyone injured that they want to propose the zero goal uh i will look at their good intentions but i will not support zero goals neither will i (laughs) all right rosa it's been an absolute pleasure and it's been one of my highlights actually speaking to you Thank you so much for your time today, but it's just about time for us to go. So thank you again for being on the show, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Well, thank you for finding me and making this happen and helping me spread the word. I, I really appreciate that. It's it's great to have that kind of support. It keeps me going. Beautiful. Thank you, Rosa. Thanks for listening to Health and Safety Conversations with Tom Bourne. Until next time, stay safe and enjoy the rest of your week.